Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. Revelation chapter 7, in verse 1, let's just go ahead and read and read from the New American Standard. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. And that's amazing just in terms of, you know, <laughs> earth science, I mean, the, the, the oceans, I mean, the, the, what they play upon the weather, I mean, the, the, the land mass heating up, I mean, the rotation of the earth. For there to be no wind, <laughs> glory to God, that's an incredible thing. Anyway, it's moving right along. Verse 2, and I saw another angel ascending from the rising of his sun, having a seal of the living God. And, having this, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And so what we're talking about in this hour, and this is high-level warfare, okay? Glory to God. I don't know if other folks are preaching this stuff. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. We're going to dive in after Jesus like never before. And notice here that there is a sealing, okay? There is a setting apart. There is a protection mechanism going about that this tribulation is not going to kick in the earth, no matter what happens with Iraq and Iran in the days ahead, until there first is a setting apart of the bondservants of God. Now let's back up, okay? We'll come right back to this. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 so we can, we can review. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start at verse 1. For the law, since it only has a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise will they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. You guys need to write this down tonight, okay? In tactical warfare, one of the major things... And tactical warfare is Satan tries to keep you hindered by psychological war. Psychological war. And don't ever misunderestimate the power of psychological warfare. Okay? Come on, folks. I want you to catch this, okay? It, we have special units in the U.S. Army, okay, that if we're going to try to capture somebody, uh, they will go out with the best... Uh, <laughs> eavesdropping equipment, electronic equipment, music equipment, and they'll use that to bombard a certain area, okay? To make people capitulate, okay? Go crazy, okay? They did it to Norega in, uh, in Panama, okay? The amount of heavy acid rock music they played outside this compound, okay? And the purpose is to get inside your mind, 
to break you down, okay? And so again, that dark ops, okay, comes from the dark realm, okay? And the inspiration of that comes from Satan, okay? Because that's what he does. He comes through a messenger like Goliath and stands before the people of God and starts blaspheming God. And everybody that was under the kingship pattern, under the ruler of Saul, were a bunch of sissies. These are trained, mighty men. The Bible says that whoever was mighty or courageous in battle, that Saul would enlist them to join his army. He didn't have a bunch of wimps. He had some mighty people serving him. Amen? But why would nobody take on Goliath? Psychological ops, okay? The enemy came for 40 days. 40 is the number for testing. And tested and said, come on, and began to blaspheme God. And David had already learned the art of warfare, had learned the art of psychological warfare, okay? Because let me tell you, we don't have it tonight to show you, okay? But I guarantee you, if we go into, if we on top of a, 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 the midbar, come off the Benjamite Plateau, heading down toward the Dead Sea, okay? And where the waters, you know, all the waters that are in Israel, in that area, are not on top of a ridge. They're down in the valley, okay? So you go down into the valley, okay? And now, hey, Moonlight stars is very scarce, okay, because you're in a ravine, okay? You're in these twisted places. If you see the book I've been offering, the Desert Shepherd book, you'll notice that this place is a land of shadows, a land of darkness, okay? And David, being a shepherd, has to get his sheep there because it's the only place for water. If you don't have water, you die. And so the good shepherd leads the sheep, okay, into the place where there's green pastures, where there's the still waters, and the still waters are right there, right? And he makes you feed and drink, okay? And you think, wow, this is great, this is luxurious, this is like the Marriott, hallelujah, this is the vacation I needed. But as soon as the sun starts to set, okay, the desert comes alive at night. The jackals, the lions, the bears, okay? We're talking about a very a lot of carnivorous animals that are in Africa. We're in Israel at that time, okay? The thickets of the Jordan, okay? Talks about the lions that would come out and devour people. And so they're coming out and they hunt at night. And where are they going to hunt at? At the watering holes, amen? And what's easier for them to catch, an antelope or a little sheep? A sheep is an easy drive-through meal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> A double whopper with cheese right there. And so it's in this place you say, well, this is crazy. What are you bringing your sheep? That's what I'm trying to say to you, folks, that the people trusted in cisterns, okay, that cannot really hold water rather than the true living waters, Jeremiah says. So if you're going to have the pure living waters, you're going to have battle. Come on, let's go to Psalms 23. Let's look at that. Come on. I want you guys to catch this imagery. Psalms 23, we'll come back. What we're going to do is we're going to break down and then rebuild. <laughs> I've been talking about, you know, the beauty of the uh, Navy SEALs and special forces, how they train together, become one unit, amen, and how that should be a pattern for discipleship, glory to God. And, of course, we, nobody here is in that place. And so the next best thing I could find here besides watching Navy SEAL videos, <laughs> hallelujah, was to... Sign up for triathlon training two weeks ago. And so the Holy Spirit quickened me. I want you to do it, son. Hallelujah. And so it's, you know, twice a week, whatever, and the coaches are real nice people. And uh, so the first part is you always have to, you need to conquer what you're weakest at. So, you know, I've played soccer many years, so I can run, not a big deal. But swimming, you know, to swim a mile or two, 
and open water, hey, we, we got to make this, I got to make it like, I got to retrain myself to think, amen, because I'm not swimming with a scuba tank or a snorkel, okay? We're in open water <laughs> with a bunch of other people. And so and I, I, I wanted to take this and use this discipline like Olympic athletes use and use it toward the spirit realm. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. I don't want to be an American couch potato. Amen. Amen. Got 300 different channels to watch. <laughs> anyway, and so I got in there and the coach goes, okay, go swimming. And so I started swimming and he's, he comes and says, well, you're a strong swimmer. Yes, Scott, you're a strong swimmer. But you know what? I'm going to tear down everything you know about swimming and retrain you. And at first I got a little upset. I was like, what? I mean, just show me a few little pointers. And he goes, no, 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 you understand. If you keep swimming the way you are and the certain little mistakes that you're making, you're going to build muscle memory and it's going to be very hard to break yourself out of that. I am going to break, tear you down and rebuild you. And so he's, this coach has got all these grown men at the pool, okay? All of us sitting there like a bunch of little ducks in the water, okay? Learning how to float again. And you're like, come on, I'm going to work out. No, nope, we can get you how to float first. And that's kind of funny, you know, to see all the people, the kids walking by, and they're kind of laughing, you know, and trying to watch us guys trying to, you know, roll in the water and do this, you know. It's like, <laughs> can we just swim? <laughs> this will look like we're going somewhere. He's, and that's what God wants to do when there is a new seam in history, when there's something new happening, we have to forget the past. Amen? And that's the beauty of the desert. When Jesus was filled with the Spirit, Mark chapter 1, the Spirit drove him where? To be tested in the desert. Which desert? The Midbar. What desert? This desert right here. This is the training ground of the patriarchs. This, this is the place where the nation, the covenant nation was born. Hallelujah. This is the place of Bethel, the open theophany. Glory to God that happened to Jacob. This is the place Isaac dug wells. Come on, folks. This is the place of the biblical revelation. And everybody doesn't like the desert. Hallelujah. But it's not a place that you feel deserted. It's actually your dessert. Hallelujah. The desert is the training ground. Paul received the revelation that just shall live by faith by separating himself from those in Jerusalem, Bible says, and he went into Arabia. Arabia was the, the Latin term, okay, the modern term for that area. He went away into Horeb. He went away to where Elijah had ran away. He went to that place. Glory to God. And he came back with the power of the gospel. And do you notice how fast he sprinted ahead of the other apostles? Those who had lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus. Come on, hallelujah. For three years, Paul sprinted ahead. Why? Because he got a revelation by faith. This is the Christianity I want. Amen? My destiny, hallelujah, is hidden in Christ. We are dead and my life is hidden in Christ and God. I want his destiny. I don't want my destiny. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because we're going to stand before him one day. Come on. It's amazing how things that we thought were stable are shifting sand right now. And the only thing that will endure is your process, they say Canadian, process in America, hallelujah, your process of consecration in the desert. Not to a man or a creed, okay, but to Jesus, the true desert shepherd warrior. Okay, so Psalms 23 Let's read this, and let me open this up in a new light to you, okay? Because most of Psalms 23, if you read commentaries, which are fine, okay? 
is this idea of an English shepherd, okay? You know, British scholarship, you know, the idea of shepherds in New Zealand, okay? I'm going to tell you this. Just because sheep act a certain same way in New Zealand as they do in England, as they do in Israel, doesn't mean that that is the revelation of what this is about. It's not about sheep and shepherding. It's about the land that they're shepherded in. The vistas, the topography of the land is the foundation of the Bible. The vegetation of the land. This is what God used to reveal himself. So it says in Psalms 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's powerful, isn't it? And, you know, we've read this. Many people have memorized this, okay? But I want you guys to look at it in a new light right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everything is provided for. He knows the pastures. He knows the job. He knows everything, the relationships. He knows everything he has planned for you. Amen? So if you get this revelation that you shall not want, you'll just sit up and laugh every day when you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And if it feels like I am wanting, okay, it's because it's a process, process, hallelujah, that we're going through to make us into desert shepherd warriors. Now, it goes on and says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the quiet, still waters, okay? The quiet, still waters, okay? In the areas of Israel, most of the waters that are in the desert, okay, of this area, the Midbar, let's go back, the word Midbar, say Midbar, is the same root for the word Debir, say Debir, okay, which is the Holy of Holies. So the wilderness, the desert, is your holy of holies. And the best pasturage land was not around the proper Jerusalem, the neighborhoods of Jerusalem. It was towards the east. Going down towards the Dead Sea was the best pasturage land. Okay, and even there, you'll go there now, and you'll see these trails, you know, this crisscross, the mountains, okay? It looks like stripes on the mountains. They've been there for millennium after millennium, okay? Of sheep and goats, the same trail, okay? Why? Because it's the best place for pasturage land, and it's the place of faith, okay? All of the patriarchs, the Abrahamic faith, okay, came about in a pasturage nomadic setting. God warned Israel, do not go and hang out with the Canaanites and learn their farming techniques, because if you do, you'll take on their gods. And that's what happened, that when Israel, okay, became more uh, agricultural base instead of nomadic base, that's when they began to backslide. Because it's easy to throw your seed in the ground, do some pruning, same year, same, same weather patterns every year, okay? But the desert lifestyle is totally dependent on the rain. It may not rain for 50 years, folks. How are you going to take care of your sheep? You've got to know where the watering holes are. If, for those who have not been to Israel, you have to understand, uh, we're talking about a place desolate, like Arizona, even worse. Okay, we're talking about a place that even if it does rain, the rains that come drop on the higher elevation, okay, because, you know, as the rains come in, the higher elevation causes the rains to precipitate, okay? And then as the clouds come over the desert area, there's nothing left. And that's why it's called the Dead Sea, okay? And then it rebuilds and it goes up the Transjordan, modern-day Jordan. It starts collecting again the incredible power. How about nuclear power? How about the power, okay, of rain, of the hydrocycle? It's incredible. 
And it comes over and it picks up through evaporation off the Dead Sea, and then it drops rains on Moab, on Edom, and it's beautiful country there, okay? So that place is perpetually a desert. It's like going to Oregon, okay? You go to Oregon, and you'll see the, the, the rain coast, okay? And then over the mountains, and then right after the mountains, it all becomes desert. And that desert that runs all the way up through British Columbia, through Oregon, goes all the way down to Mexico, okay? And it's on the other side of the Cascades. So you kind of picture that, okay? You got to kind of picture that imagery that we're talking about an area that doesn't receive a lot of rains. And so when it does receive rain, it's very valuable and very powerful, okay? And the prophet says that when this river, rivers in the desert, floods, hallelujah, it's a sign God's doing something new. His word is our sign. I'm fascinated by this. I love it, hallelujah. Because I've seen so much power released when this happens. Okay, so as these things flood, there's places that become very um, quiet, very oasis-like, okay? And that's where the shrubbery, the different species of plants grow. And it's beautiful at Ein Gedi where David hid from Saul. There's a big waterfall that comes off the top of the, the, the desert plateau and it comes down and it creates like this small little ecosystem. And there's plants, species of plants and flowers right there in that you know, few acre area that there's nowhere else on planet Earth. And that's where David hid from Saul. Okay? And so whatever wild animals, people say, well, I don't see any leopards around here. There's no leopards in Israel. Come on. If you hang out with night vision long enough at the still watering hole, you'll see these animals come out. Okay? And so what I'm trying to say to you is that when you get blessed by the Lord, the shepherd, when you get, he humbles you and puts you in a still place and feeds you and takes care of you, that's the same time you're going to be ready. Because we're not in, a, in heaven yet. We're not in utopia yet. The very place of blessings is the very place of war. Let's keep on reading here. He restores my soul. He guides me the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Thou art with me. Now, David is not talking about the future afterlife. That this psalm is quoted many times at funerals, etc., okay? And people go home to be with the Lord. This is not the primary focus of David, okay? David is talking in a nomadic terms is that when I'm laying down, the Lord makes me lay down in this oasis areas, this becomes the very valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because that's where the lion and the bear come out at night. The very place that I need to live becomes the very place I better fight for my survival too. And this is what a lot of Christians don't understand. Well, I gave money, you know, and then I got attacked. Or I got anointed, you know, and this happened to me. Folks, come on, hallelujah. You're in war, amen? And I'm not getting fed enough. Most of the Christian TV I see is not feeding us for war. It's not feeding us how to be warriors, amen? It's just, it's mamby-pamby self-improvement stuff. Winnie the Pooh messages. I mean, I <laughs> really, it's, it's like raising up a bunch of feminine warriors. And you say, well, what is the root of it? They're good-hearted people, and they're preaching with all their heart, okay? And they're preaching out of a system. However, the, the whole foundation is wrong. It's the monarchy system. When you look to a king, we want a Saul. We want an anointed warrior from the tribe of Benjamin who's tall and handsome, who has a prophetic anointing, okay? We want him to, him to lead us into battle like the nations. 
We want to make the church like the nations, okay, like the world. Make it seeker-sensitive for the world to come in and out of and experience, quote, quote, you know, the grace of God, okay? What that raises up is a bunch of warriors, okay, who call themselves warriors, but when the Goliaths come to challenge, okay, nobody there has a chutzpah to take them on. It's the people that every night are in battle. Come on, hallelujah. Every night are taking care of the sheep, are with the flocks, and it's the most detested vocation in the ancient Middle East. To be a shepherd was the people to turn up their nose against you. But that's the hiding place of power, to go outside the camp bearing his reproach. Hallelujah. God uses the weak, amen, the foolish to confound the wise. Y'all getting, am I doing a good job painting the picture for you? So every night that David is going and bringing his flock, what he's a cared of, his job doesn't end when he gets them fed and gets them tucked in for bed, okay? But sheep are not nocturnal animals, neither are goats, okay? His job is to put them, he has to know that wherever the rains may fall on that agricultural desert region, okay? That, okay, if the rains are falling over here, he has to know where that spring is, and not just where the spring is, but where is a safe cave or a fold to gather the sheep into, because my job begins at night. So the imagery of the desert shepherd warrior during the day, he just lets the sheep run off, you know, he'll hang out with them, you know, kind of walking, you know. One gets off a trail, he'll get a slingshot, hit him in the rear end, hallelujah, Get him back over on the trail with everybody else, okay? And you'll see it. They don't really do a lot of stuff during the day. Because the sheep are already on these predetermined paths, okay? And they're following. If you get the main leading sheep, everybody else will follow behind it. If you see how sheep run, you know, they run like this. It's neat when you see it in Israel, okay? And your job is not to make sure they don't scatter too much on the mountains, okay? But the sheep know the master's voice. We have to understand Jesus as the good shepherd. Because when they, in John chapter 10, when they tested his deity, he says, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Ooh, hallelujah. And so a lot of the images we see of Jesus is holding this little baby lamb, you know, in a Hallmark Christian greeting card, you know, like, ah, oh, isn't that so sweet? Yes, that's one imagery of the shepherd, okay? But let's develop the whole package here. Amen. The whole vocation is a very dangerous vocation. Because not only do you have to bear the elements of the desert, not only do you have to know navigation and know the place like the back of your hand, okay? When you get, not only do you have to be spontaneous because the, the, the rains may be falling in Jerusalem. This is very good here. The, winds may be, the rains may be falling in Jerusalem, but it's not raining where you are. You have to be attuned to when the flash floods come. Because the loess and the soil in Israel in that area doesn't absorb moisture. So when the rains fall, it's like falling on concrete. And it comes straight rushing down these gullies like this, okay? And it can be running 60 kilometers away. And here it's like sunshine and, you know, 110 in the shade. You're like, oh, this is great. And you're going to be ready because you could hear a rumbling coming. And if you're not ready, you get, you get destroyed. David talks about how the waters have overtaken me. Deep speaking in the deep. Talk about it in Psalms. Being caught up in these wadi systems, okay? Flash flood plains. So you've got to be a person, come on, hallelujah, with your ear to the ground like an Apache guy, scout, glory to God. You've got to know when the rains are coming, and if the rains do hit here, I don't get assured with my flock. I've got to put them in a place of safety, okay? 
Now, it could be raining up in this area up here and not be raining over here, and this valley gorge will be dry, but this valley over here will have water in it. So you've got to know. You've got to know where the rains are falling. Come on, folks. Now, once you get the sheep tucked in for night in the fold, okay, your job begins. You had a night, your day shift was pretty easy, okay? You're best trying to stay hydrated, okay? You're trying to keep people fed, you know? You're just trying to move along, okay, whatever. But when the night begins and the sheep are in the fold, that's when your job begins. Your job becomes the gatekeeper of the valley of the shadow of death. Now, remember, they don't have torches. They don't have night vision. Come on, folks. They don't have the implements that we have now, okay? And as you know, lions come and hunt in packs. Come on, folks. Wolves hunt in packs. So David learned to become a warrior by taking care of the sheep at night. And so let's put it in a spiritual tone. Our job as shepherds, because we're all called to shepherd God's people, is to get people into a one-on-one experience with the master, the living waters, amen, and then we're to guard that entrance at night. Because they are going to come out at night. The night cometh when no man can work. They're going to come. It's the nature of the beast. Paul says, I wrestled with beasts at Ephesus. And the word he uses there for beast is like these mythological creatures, half man, half animal. Paul says that. In, I wrestled with these demon spirits at Ephesus. Paul, a great shepherd figure, says, I know after I leave that ravenous wolves will come in and scatter the flock. And as they're weeping on the shores of Ephesus before he left. So I don't see a lot of Christianity preparing people for a nightly battle. But you'll start hearing it more. Hallelujah. Now, David had to become an expert, not just in taking on wolves, but which are, you know, a little bit easier than a bear. Bears are just head on, come at you, okay? They don't play games like a pack of wolves do. Especially a hungry bear. So God took the courage of David as a young adolescent, okay, and trained him in shepherding God's people, and he used that to shepherd the people when he became the leading figure of Israel. Are you with me? And even Samuel was looking for a big, tall, handsome son of Jesse. This must be the king. It wasn't. None of those guys were, okay? It's the people that are in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you have another enemy that comes in, which is called the Amalekites or the Midianites. We see them throughout the land. And, of course, I think a great example for you guys to kind of get this would go rent out the movie uh, Ten Commandments. And the part where Charlton Heston, you know, Moses is going through the desert and he's being crushed. And, and, and he wakes up and he hears these goats' bells, you know. And he wakes up and there is um, the Midianite daughters uh, and, uh, of Jethro. Uh, and uh, he gets up, and the Amalekites come in, you know, and they all, he jumps up as a warrior and drives them off. That's powerful stuff. I love it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Remember that? And all the daughters go, oh, it's a man. I mean, there's a lot of men around, but not really real men. Come on. And so that's what we have to do. As desert warriors, we have to be ready to get up in the morning if we have to. We have to be at times ready to spend all night in prayer if we have to, not just for our families, for other people that we're called to take care of. To do battle in the night hour. Hallelujah. 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 
And you have to become an expert in this. It's not just a one-time thing and just wish for a utopia. Come on. We have to want the fight. So that I even know I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the valley of the shadow of death. That's on this side of glory, okay? I fear no evil. The actual Hebrew is I fear no harm, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hallelujah. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the, we talk about the presence of the Lord. What about the presence of the enemies? Do we always have to have, to have just have a feel-good presence of the Lord around for God to set a table? Maybe he'll set a table right there in the midst of our enemies looking in and seething. Hallelujah. So David being affected desert shepherd warrior, okay, and is driving back these carnivorous animals or even Amalekites from the, from the, the herd, okay, he has to be, he has to realize this is 24-7. That even though you may have driven off some, a pack of wolves before, they're going to be out in the perimeter still waiting for the next chance to look for the weakest sheep, to look when you fall asleep. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour, okay? And so here we are being trained in nocturnal war. I can't think of a greater reward in life, a greater vocation in life, hallelujah, than to herd people into God's presence and then stand and fight, take on the enemy, hallelujah, hallelujah. with the Messiah's armor, not my armor, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With his authority, with his name, with his staff. Glory to God. Now it goes on and says here, Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Notice the anointing comes in the midst of comfort in battle. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, did David talk about a house here? Come on. Let's talk about the Western Greek mindset that we've all got to get flushed of, okay? Always separates the natural from the spiritual. And so people say, oh, that means, you know, when I go to heaven. David's not talking about heaven. He's not thinking of the afterlife. He's thinking of the kingdom of God now coming in earth. Meaning the house of God is not a four-walled structure. The house of God is where God lives. And God lives right there having a nighttime meal with you in the presence of the wolves on the perimeter. That's your house. That's your dwelling place. Come on. This is where we're going to live forever and ever is in this spot. Woo! Let's go back. And it's just, in the, just a stone's throw away, so to speak. There's, Jacob is running from his brother. Okay? He goes to sleep on a stone. Okay? By the way, the desert shepherd warrior pattern, you've got to be able to sleep anywhere. Well, I can't go there unless I have my five different, you know, you know, chiropractic pillows, you know, and have a certain air conditioning at a certain level, you know, and folks, you, come on, you have to either sleep, you can sleep in the Ritz or sleep in a ditch, just get used to it, okay? Hallelujah! Jacob falls asleep, sees a theophany, sees the glory of God, sees the angels coming up and down, hallelujah. But it says there that Jacob, he woke up and says, this is, wow, this is, this is the house of God, and called it Bethel. Now, did he see a house? Did he see a temple? Did he see a structure? That's the way I call it a house for. 
Because he worked for Home Depot? Having flashbacks when he slept? No. Why? Come on, folks. A house is not a four-walled structure. It is where you live. For a nomadic people, a house is not a certain neighborhood in a cul-de-sac, okay? And a street address. That's the biggest problem that the modern Israelis have with the Bedouins that live in the Negev, is the Bedouins, there's, you know, there's a huge community, hundreds of thousands of them in Israel, and they'll just, out of nowhere, just get up and pick up their tents and move somewhere else. Hey, you can't do that. That's private property. Well, no, what are you talking about? We're a Bedouin nation. We can do what we want. So even those little tribes that give them big spaces of land to move in and out of, you know, and their camels just run loose, you know, it's just amazing. Now, you have to understand that when you negotiate with these type of people, they think different than we do. Okay, like the whole Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, okay, is a Bedouin tribe. And that's why the Saudis and others hate them because they're not, quote, quote, from the royal tribe. They're the Hashemite kingdom. They're the Bedouin nation. Okay, and so when you deal with Jordanians that are from there, there's like, you know, half of Jordanians are Palestinians, by the way. It's different people, okay? The, the, the Palestinians, most of them come from Philistia, okay? The, the Phoenician-type people, the Philistines, okay? That's Yasser Arafat talked about all the time, how, you know, we're the, those people. And those were the arch enemies of Israel. When Israel obeyed God, they diminished. They began to fight with one another, okay? But when Israel disobeyed God, they're... Suddenly, her neighbors became strong around her and afflicted her. And that's the pattern we see throughout history. Okay? So we need desert shepherd warriors now more than we need 911 emergency workers and firemen. Okay? It's because Israel's in major sin right now, and they need people to stand in the gap for them. So the house of the Lord, the place where God's glory is, is catty corner to the valley of the shadow of death. And unless we train people how to fight, not just how to get their needs met, okay, but how to fight, then we're not really doing the shepherd pattern that God wants us in. Amen? Now, I don't want you to be spooked by every demon behind the bush, okay, and they, everything's the devil and this and that, okay, but I do want you to rec- represent that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, okay? And the wolves that Jesus said have come to kill, steal, and destroy, John chapter 10, you ever heard of that scripture? Was the religious priest and the Pharisees. So today, most of the wolves that come at us that we have to pr- protect you and one another and ourselves from are religious leaders, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're the ones who come to kill, steal, and destroy. So let's get this imagery now. The entire pattern of faith is a nomadic existence of leading sheep, okay? You've got to find waters, but those waters at night become psychological warfare. You know how spooky it is for some people at night to hear the howling of wolves and hear the sounds of the night? Go to Africa. You know what I'm talking about. At night, in the bush. You can't let these sounds of the night disturb you. Hallelujah. And usually, these attacks come right before the dawn comes. The wolves, the lions, circling all night, okay? Sensing that the light is coming, and they got to feed their young, will attack. And that's when you gotta be, got to be ready. It's always the darkest before the dawn. So we need you guys to start shepherding yourself in this battle terminology because it's here in this place that is the house of the Lord. Okay, let's go back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So it says in verse 2, 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would only have a consciousness of sins. You notice when David did not go to war, he fell in the sin of Bathsheba and killed her husband, whose name is Uriah, or the light or the glory of the Lord. You cannot get in a static Christianity. As soon as you get into an entertainment mindset, your flesh will override, come on, and then you're going to have a consciousness of sin, and you're going to ruin your lives. If you have sinned, and you know you have sinned, and you're repeating the same sin, you're having a hard time getting a hold of it, okay? That's not the time to throw in the towel, okay? And go eat 15 scoops of ice cream, okay? And just hide from church. I know when people start listening, starting to beginning to listen to secular music, okay, or secular TV programs, or don't seem to come to church except when they have to, okay, I know that they're slipping. I know that the devil's playing psychological warfare with their mind, and they feel like, well, I can't go out witnessing with you guys on Saturday night, or I can't go do this because look, look at the things I'm doing in my life, okay? And they get paralyzed in fear. That is a psychological trick of the enemy. Because when you say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus, none of us here is perfect. Come on. We all have our issues. Come on, folks. Nobody's perfect. If you're looking for somebody perfect, well, you're going to die in frustration and unforgiveness and criticalness, okay? There ain't nobody perfect but Jesus. Amen? Amen. And you can start looking at somebody's heart on the, outside, on the outside and God says, you don't see their heart. I see their heart. You see the outward appearance. So even then you have to walk by faith. Amen? What I'm trying to say to you is that no matter what you may have done, the blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of Jesus can wipe away the memory of that sin. Oh! I mean, I, well, not the prisoners at the San Quentin prison, you know, maybe they're a mass murderer, okay? Okay? And the, the biggest battle they have in prison is walking through the forgiveness. Because when they come to the altar and get born again, God's forgiven you. But the devil comes back with the pictures. Come on, and the family members. And those, come on. Come on, folks. And they've got to walk in the extreme level of faith because nobody there believes they're forgiven. This is the number one battle you need to write down tonight. Your battle right now is psychological warfare from the enemy. Now, if you keep repeating the same sin, the same things, okay, and not trying to reprove, then you have, definitely have a problem, okay? And we've got to get you set free from that. But this issue of consciousness of sin, Paul says whenever he stood before the courts of the, of the ancient world that time, you hear he always says, I've to this day lived before man and God with a clean conscience. No, few of us recognize the power of a clean conscience. The power of a renewed mind. The power of having a virgin mind. Hallelujah. And that's why, that's one of the first things. The desert separates you from cable and satellite TV. You're out of coverage out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I know, I know this principle, okay, from Romans chapter 16. I just quoted to you. I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, and the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. 
So the most powerful principle of warfare that we've lost in the, in the Western church is the principle of being innocent according to evil. You say, well, I don't do those things. Yeah, but you read about those things. You watch movies that do those things. Come on. Even if it's a fiction story. Come on. Even if it's nonfiction. I'm not, that, come on, folks. How can we live in a clean conscience when we have such an influx coming into our eye gate? And that's where most people want to go back to the coverage zone, okay, where cable has been dug in their, <laughs> in their street and reaches their house. And I, don't, I know very few warriors that spend a lot of time watching TV that can still do war. And it's becoming more and more evident right now. So the idea, the hunger and the thirst for holiness, okay, to be pure, come on, folks, is a godly sanctification. And you're going to find God bringing you into a deserted place away from that contamination, okay, to bring you to a place and your linchpin, your key to whether you survive or not in this process is a clean conscience. You're going to have to understand that when you confess your sins, you are forgiven. The devil and your family will remind you of your past. When the devil reminds you of your past, start reminding him of his future. Start reading Revelation to him. Hallelujah. That pack of wolves will run away pretty quick. Come on. The blood of Jesus is not just cleansing your conscience. It is our demarcation line that no demon can cross the blood. Are you guys with me tonight? Am I talking too fast? Come on. When you come up to demons and you say, come out in the name of Jesus. By the authority of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out of that man now. They need to respond to you. But the biggest thing, they'll try to keep you from doing that. Well, I can't do that because I did that last week. Well, maybe God's already forgiven you. God has one thing that he doesn't know, which is he's forgetful. I'll take your sins and cast them to the sea of forgetfulness, Micah says. As far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far, isn't it? Does he throw our sins? That's it. And so you can come to this place of understanding the blood of Jesus, okay, and the message of grace, that you are forgiven when you call upon his name. Hallelujah. That you don't have to work yourself up to feel something. It's by faith. Amen? And your heart is really, I'm wanting to change. I want to live right. I want to serve you, Lord. Amen? You're forgiven. And the first thing you have to, you have to encounter is the howls of the night, the spooky voices. Come on. The dreams, the family members, people you work with that know your past, okay? You have to see that as get behind me, Satan. And this is where faith separates from works righteousness. You can get into works, doing all these things, try to get God's acceptance, or simply by faith. And that's where Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, from indulgences into the just shall live by faith. This is a tremendous weapon. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. Now, the next part of this, it says in verse 5, that when he comes in the world, sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but my, a body thou hast prepared for me. So not only do we have the forgiveness of sins, the problem is everybody wants to camp around here and not move on. 
What this next leads to is a sacrifice of our entire life for him. Because Psalms 40, which is quoted here in Hebrews 10, verse 5, reveals to us that the sacrifice that God wants in this last hour is not our body, that's the Septuagint translation, okay, culminating what the Hebrew thought was. The actual literal Hebrew is, my ears thou hast opened or excavated. My ears thou hast pierced, Psalms 40 says in Hebrew. So the sacrifice that God is looking for, in the West we may not understand that, the first sacrifice for Jesus, the first blood that, that fell, was the night that he went to the door of God's house. Hallelujah. Outside the camp in Gethsemane, the olive press, and said, Lord, not take this cup from me. But Abba, not my will, but your will be done. And he began to sweat blood. Hallelujah. That's the blood we need to center on, not the blood at the cross. That's the follow-through event. The first blood that fell in Gethsemane. That washes away our sin, amen, is the same place we need to go. We need to go into the garden and, so to speak, put our ear on the door, which was the type and shadow, as I explained before, of the bondservant. When a servant in Exodus 21 had earned his freedom after six years, and he says, You know, I love my master more than my own freedom, then the master would take him to the doorpost, the mezuzah in Hebrew. And put his ear on the door, and with a very sharp instrument, leave a piece of his ear on the door. That person from a servant went to a bondservant. We see that in Paul's life, his early writing saying, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul. At the end, Philippians and others says, a bondservant. Come on, you need to listen now, because this is what the angels are sealing right now. The angels are sealing the bondservants of the Lord. And when they seal the bondservants of the Lord, this tribulation kicks in even more. We'll go to that in a moment. So the idea of you being called, Lord, I thank you for cleansing me from my sin. Amen? And you can stay around in that enjoyment for all your life and never really enter into the true call God has for you. He wants you to take that message of grace, amen, and your freedom from sin, amen, and your freedom from this world system, not to be free the rest of your life, but now to re-enlist re-emancipate yourself to a message of slavery. We are not free to do what we want. We're the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. That's not what Paul's trying to say. We are free in Abba. Hallelujah. We're sons and daughters, but there comes a moment in your life where he begins to woo you to put away all that freedom, come back in the desert and put your ear in the door and no longer be a son, but be a bondservant now. No longer be a daughter, but a handmaiden. And if you don't, Capture that moment when, the, when that portal, when that window opens. It may be another 40 years before you get to it. We're in that process right now where God is looking for people that are hot, not lukewarm. God is looking for those. Well, I know your works. You know you test the apostles. You do all these things. I know your industry, but I have this one thing against you. You left your first love. The first love is, you know, Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done for me. But, Lord, it's time to, time to grow up, you know. I'm going to come to your door as the bondservant would in Exodus. I'm going to put my ear on your door. Hallelujah. I belong, I'm a bondservant. Meaning whatever you say, I do. I know I'm going to live for myself. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. This is what the writer is saying. The sacrifice. Everything in the Old Testament does not please God. How many people want to please God tonight? 
The ultimate way to please God is to put your ear on the door and say, Lord, hear mine. Hallelujah. The first thing you're going to start hearing in that place of decision is there's a lot of people that don't want to shepherd the sheep. They want to fleece the sheep, but they don't want to shepherd the sheep. Okay? And you're going to start hearing the voice of the shepherd inside of you to go outside the camp and take on a vocation which most people don't like. Hallelujah. And it's not just shepherding. Hallelujah. You may be a shepherd during the day. At night, you're a warrior. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You become a person who can lead other people into the desert saying, trust me. You crazy men. There's nothing going on here. I don't feel any anointing out here. It's so dry. Will you be quiet <laughs> and trust me that I know this place like the back of my hand and I want you to stick close to me because when it gets nighttime, you're going to become wolf bait, okay? And God is actually going to use you as bait to bring the enemy out to defeat him in open battle so God can get more glory for himself. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I want you to be prepared. Hallelujah. I know I love to be in Israel talking about this. We all go, ooh, no, isn't this awesome? It all smell like sheep, okay? And can smell the desert winds, okay? But we're not there. We're going to do this thing by faith right now. And in that desert is where the glory of God appears. When Jesus is crying out, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, he's taking on the greatest authority. You know why? Because guess, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter, that's quoted right there in the Gospels. What comes out? The pack of wolves sent by the chief priest. And there was actually a wolf and sheep clothing among them, Judas, and it's in this pattern that the shepherd was struck down and the sheep were scattered. Not understanding that Jesus was taking our hits. Jesus was taking our sin. Jesus was taking, come on folks, Jesus was taking the brunt of the attack. Yes. And we thought, oh poor Jesus. But no, that was the plan of God. If the princes and the rulers of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's already done that. We don't have to do that. Hallelujah. I don't understand why more people are not running that direction right now. Let's say it's almost like consumer Christianity. I'm going to go to Super Walmart and pick out what I want, you know. Thank you, Jesus. But those that are hearing the master saying, you know, well, I'm healed. Hey, all ten of us lepers are healed. But only one came back to give thanks. Remember that? Wait a minute. Whoa. You guys go on. Go to your Atlanta football game. I don't care. Forget that. Thank you, Lord. What you did for me. I'm going to dedicate my life to you. He goes, okay. I'm going to take you to the desert, and I'm going to teach you the ways of David, the ways of the patriarchs, my testing ground in the desert. I'm with you, okay? And your first enemy is going to be psychological warfare, the haunts, the evils, the fear of the night. I'm with you. And you start to learn to defeat Satan in open battle. Hallelujah. That when the devil tells you you don't have something, it means you have it. Whatever the devil says, do the opposite, okay? I'm serious. Come on. Just do the, he's a, he's a lie. There's no truth in him. He's the father of lies. 
if the devil is hammering you lately, it's because you got something big on the way. Hallelujah. So he anoints, that becomes your oil, that forgiveness of sin, that no consciousness of sin becomes the oil, that fresh oil in your head in the valley of the shadow of death. Becomes your place of comfort. See, the 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 problem with the river is, most of the river pastors I know, and one of them told me yesterday, he says, you know, everybody's getting plowed, drunk in the Holy Ghost the last few years, but nobody's really been teaching us to get ready for the lions to come out. The counterattack. So you're in that place, and this is what you're going to hear, okay? And you're knowing you're in God's perfect world. You're going to start hearing, help us. You're going to start hearing the scattered sheep. Go with me to Jeremiah 50. Woo! Hallelujah! That's why I love Wednesday night, you know, because the really hungry people come out. You know, let's say Sunday, Okay? You, know, you call for, you know, street witnessing on Saturday night. I went, I went to a 12,000-member church. And, you know, the pastor would preach. He was a great evangelist all the time, Billy Joe Doherty. Get everybody fired up to win souls. And it came time to go win souls. At the most, 35 people would show up. Out of 12,000 people. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather hang around with the 35 that go witness, street witnessing and warriors, you know, than all those yahoos on Sunday morning that are just feigning Christianity. They're like Saul's army, you know. When the Goliath comes, what are you going to do, Pastor? Whoa. Here, put on my armor. It don't fit. Okay. Bring me a praise and worship leader. I got demons all over me. <laughs> That's what happened to Saul, didn't he? <laughs> oh, I feel better. The praise and worship music's going. Woo! Uh, sir, uh, Goliath on his 39th day. And there's a young guy outside the tent, a shepherd. Woo, he stinks. Woo! He's asking what will be given him if he takes on Goliath. Oh, I haven't heard any courage in the camp for 39 days. Bring him in. Hey, pretty smart little Jewish boy. He gets a king's daughter. No more taxes in the land. This kid's pretty cool. Hallelujah. And he's different looking. He's redheaded. Where everybody else looks Arabic, Middle Eastern, okay? His skin is not built to be in the sun. And that's before they invented sunscreen, okay? <laughs> and he's the lowest totem pole on the family, of Jesse's family. Bring him in. Sir, I'll take this giant on. What? You're just, he's been a warrior from his youth. You're just a shepherd. Yeah, but the same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear. Come on, hallelujah. Will deliver this giant into my hand. Well, here, put on my armor, young man. I can't wear this. You're telling me to put on what you think you... Th- I haven't tested this before in battle. Come on, hallelujah. And everybody else, their knees were fellowshipping with one another. But David knew about how to fight. This is the pattern of Jesus. Are you with me? The desert shepherd warrior model. This is how everything began and ends in the Bible. Get flushed of this Western monarchy business model of church. Well, Brother Scott, we've got to be contemporary they can be able to reach these people unless we're contemporary. Make the Bible down to their level. Where is it? The Bible, let the Bible speak for itself. Well, I had to have Jesus dressed up like, like tattoos and a Harley Davidson for me to be able to reach people in this culture today? What? A man of velvet, but a man of steel. 
the desert shepherd warrior pattern, gentle enough to lead the small ooze, but vicious enough to take on a lion and a bear, and then to have the chutzpah inside of you. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what, buddy? You've been blaspheming the armies of God. I'm picking your head off. You're roadkill, buddy. You're fertilizer tomorrow. And the guy goes, what, am I a dog? You come out to me with sticks and stones? And it says Goliath approached the battle. I love this part. It says David ran to meet him. (laughs) I love to take you to that brook where the smooth stones are. He had four others in his pocket. Guess what they're there for? Four or five others. His four other brothers. There was a whole race of giants, okay? And they're found by the Nephilim or Raphaim in the Bible. And they actually came from Hebron. Caleb, who was 80 years old, whose name in Hebrew means dog. Caleb is a dog in Hebrew. An 80-year-old man, okay, killed three giants. Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we give the senior citizens some credit? Come on, hallelujah. Why does everything have to be yuppie and young and contemporary? What about the senior citizens? Let's honor the senior citizens. Who's, hey, come on. We get used to it because the way medical science is now, most people are living past 70 anyway. Everybody's forced to retire at 65. Forget it. It's not time to retire, but refire. <laughs> so here's Caleb, takes out three race of giants, and God gives them Chevron. David comes out. Oh, I like this imagery. He runs to meet him, and I love this st- the imagery. The stone sank in his forehead. And he fell face first. And Goliath took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. Can you imagine how big that head was? And the Philistines saw their champion was down. Guess what? They all ran home to mama. And that's the imagery. We first, we go in and we plunder the strong man's house by plundering the strong man. And what God wants to do is raise you up where you know you're forgiven, you're cleansed, hallelujah, and to get you the desert shepherd warrior pattern. Come on, hallelujah. And you begin to hear God's name being blasphemed, whatever, and you go out there and start doing shofar drive-bys. You start doing prophetic gestures, amen. You start taking on the Goliaths of our age, amen. And not wait around for a bunch of the pastor monarchy systems to do it. The big churches around here to do it. They're controlled by the dollar, period, and by their overhead, and they're a bunch of sissies because I talked to them behind the scenes. I don't know many warriors that have big churches. All they think about is how can we get more people? How can we keep the people? How can we be better than the church history? It's politics. It's territoriality. It's the monarchy system. When are people going to wake up and come out of that system? You say, well, I've never done street witnessing. Well, it's time to start. Hallelujah. Why? Well, I'm afraid if I go up there and talk to the devil, he'll attack me back. Come on, he already knows his time is short. He's going to be attacking whether you attack him or not. (laughs) He's enraged already. Have you haven't figured it out? (laughs) But you can crush him under your feet, hallelujah, by living right. Now, when you're out in this pattern in the desert, this is the first thing you're going to hear at night, okay? You're going to hear scared Christians. You're going to hear sheep that have been scattered. Jeremiah 50, let's read it. Jeremiah 50 and verse 4. Now, this, I wrote this email a couple days ago, okay? 
This is a prophecy about Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. That when you see a rock getting shaken, okay? So it says here, when Babylon is really going through problems, in verse 4, in those days, that time, declares the Lord, the sons of Israel will come, both they and the sons of Judah as well. They'll go along weeping as they go, and it'll be the Lord, their God, they will seek. Folks, we're talking about a national awakening of Jewish people, weeping to seek God. I, and we're at, we're at the verge of it. If you've been reading my emails lately, we're at the verge of it. Come on, come on. Verse 5, and they'll ask for the way to Zion. They're not asking to come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the monarchy pattern. Zion represents the tabernacle of David, the mobile shepherd dwelling. And they'll turn their faces in its direction. Folks, this hasn't happened yet. But guess what? 40% of Israeli youth had never been to Jerusalem. They live less than an hour away, and 40% of young Israelis had never been to Israel, to Jerusalem. They don't want to. It's religion to them. It's amazing, isn't it? What's going to turn the Jewish people away from their large bank accounts with Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, etc.? What's going to turn Neiman Marcus-type people? Come on, think about it. That have prestigious platinum cards with Marcus, Neiman Marcus account, okay? <clears throat> they drive their 500 series <clears throat> Mercedes or their Jags, okay, or their Bentleys here in the States. What about the Israelis? What's going to turn them to God? It's not Jerusalem. It's going to be a pre-wired longing, something deep within them, pinging a sonar like it happened to me when I got saved, bringing me back to the faith of my fathers. Hallelujah. And it's not Jerusalem, it's beyond that. It is a secret presence of God gathered in the Zion, in the tabernacle of David. And we're going to weep and we're going to come back to it. Hallelujah. When is this going to happen? When Babylon's being judged. We've got to get ready, folks. We've got to be people that can see. Past the trees and see the forest. We've got to see that where this thing is moving toward Israel. And let me tell you, Israelis and Jewish people, they, get, they, they, they know a fluke, Okay. They're not stupid people, okay? We know a fluke when we see it. And most churches I see, they are a fluke. Good people, the wrong pattern. They're not coming back to the big mausoleums we built, okay? The big, beautiful PowerPoint presentations, all this stuff, Christian TV. They're going to come back to the glory realm, period. And there's got to be desert shepherd warriors there that can lead them, hallelujah, through this process. To be ready there to catch him. That's why you've been called here. That's why some of you are visiting here. You're being downloaded, hallelujah, with the final plan of the ages of God to bring in the resurrection of the Jewish people. Hallelujah. And they're not going to come to Western Christianity. The purpose of Western Gentile Christianity is to provoke them to jealousy. Hallelujah. And they say, wait a minute, the same kind of glory I see on some of you guys, we should have it. And they're going to start pressing back to the navel, the center, the epicenter, the genesis of who they were as a people. And it's nomadic existence of a wandering Jewish people. Hallelujah. In the desert that the theophanies of the glory appeared to our forefathers. We want it. And watch it start to develop even more now as Iraq or Babylon is being shaken. It says in verse 5, they will ask for the way at Zion, turning their faces in its direction. They will come that they may join themselves to the Lord and everlasting covenant not be forgotten. They are coming to enter into faith in Jesus. And you and I have a privilege to be a part of it. 
You think I just like to hear myself preach? You think I'm wasting my time just coming here with a few people? Come on, connect the dots. Come on. It's like we're in paratroopers coming over the battle line at night. Hallelujah. And there's a light coming on, a yellow light and a green light. And the yellow light says, get ready. We're approaching the drop zone. Hallelujah. And the sergeant says, get up. Check your gear. Repent. Get. Come on. Hallelujah. Too late to ride home. Get ready. 30 seconds. We're out of this thing. And you're at the door and all of your training for night warfare is now kicking in. Hallelujah. Of course you're in fear. Of course you're afraid. But he comforts you. Hallelujah. And they start pushing out that plane. The green light comes on. You're now in the drop zone. We're in the yellow light right now, folks. Not quite green light yet, but we're in the yellow light right now. Babylon's being shaken. This river's flooding. Hallelujah. Most Christians don't understand that. I understand it. Glory to God. Shukimatai. You say, how can I trust you, Scott? Well, trust God. Amen. But at least, if you don't believe what I'm saying, follow me for, for at least the work's sakes. Hallelujah. The reason we're fighting the enemy, the reason we're training to be desert shepherd warriors is to rescue the sheep. That's it's the bottom line. A lot of good people are getting tired of the Sunday churchianity scene, but they still love Jesus. And they're not sure what to do. And normally what they're doing is they're leaving and starting to dry up. They're starting to become scattered sheep. Come on, I'll try to, you're catching where we're going here. Now, let's go to the next verse. Verse 6, are you ready? The, my people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains They've gone along from mountain to hill and forgotten the resting place. So, and we have good men and women who love God, who want to shepherd people, but they've taken on a pattern that's not the Bible, okay? And they have brought people into a progression of, t- read my book, you know, t- my tape series, be my armor bearer, do, give to this ministry, give this, my, do this. Do Christian service, and somewhere in that mysterious service, you're supposed to change, okay? And what they're forgotten as shepherds is the shepherd's number one goal is to get the sheep into the secret springs of the living waters. And so we have a lot of lost sheep, don't we? The more seeker-sensitive, the more dry the people are. Come on, folks. They've forgotten their resting place, and all who came upon them have devoured them, and their adversaries have said, we are not guilty in so much they have sinned against the Lord, who is the habitation of righteousness. Okay? Even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Let me break this down of the evil I sent out. Number one, the word habitation of righteousness is the proper word pasture of righteousness. It's one of the covenant names of God. He's El Shaddai, he's Jehovah, Okay? He's Elohim, he's, you know, El Shalom, El Gibor, all these wonderful covenant names. Have you ever heard teaching on he's the pasturage of righteousness? No, it's a very rare Hebrew word. Now, the next word is even rarer, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Okay, the word hope has been mistranslated in modern Jewish translations, okay? The context is pasturage, okay? The word hope here 
it should really be translated the gathering point of the sheep. Because what has happened in our modern culture, there is a hope built into the soul of the Jewish people called Hatikva. It's actually the national anthem of Israel. Okay, when that flag is, you know, Star Spangled Banner, our anthem, their banner, their national anthem is Hatikva, the hope. And if you listen to the words, the soul of the Jew about coming back to the land, building up the land, it's a beautiful song, okay? We must remember that the Jewish people that came out of the Holocaust of Europe, okay, that came and created the nation of Israel were mainly secular, agnostic, atheistic, socialist Jews. They were not God-fearing Jewish people at all. It was very much a secular movement, okay? And so in that pioneering spirit of reclaiming the land of their ancestors, there's always put out there in front of my mind as a kid of this luminous hope, this philosophical hope of the hope of our fathers. Why don't we have land? Why, you know? And so over the generations as the nation's being built, there was always this thing, well, I'm an Israeli, you know, let's pioneer this land. But lately that mystique of being an Israeli of Sabra, this is the land of our fathers, is starting to disappear in this new generation. Even to the point that most secular Israelis want to give away land that their ancestors built and drained the swamps. They want to give away land for peace. They want to be like the other nations. And the other extreme faction in the land is the ultra, ultra Orthodox, who some of them appeared with the president of Iran recently, saying that Israel should not even be a nation. There was a sect in Rockland County, New York, of ultra-Orthodox who do not even believe they, they support, they actually give money to terrorists because they believe that Israel is not ordained by God. So you have this political faction, you have these factions within the land, you have the Russian community, you have the Ethiopian, you have the secular Israelis, you have the Arab Israelis, you have the Orthodox, you have the ultra-Orthodox, you have the Christians in this small little land, okay? And what is holding the Jewish people together is starting to fall apart. This luminous hope of a secular state that does not have God at its center is not the hope of our fathers. It's played itself out. We do not see Israelis weeping and crying because of the hope of our nation. They actually want to leave mostly Israel and make money somewhere else. Okay, we call them the Aliyahs to go up. The Jordan is just like the Jordan to go down. Those that leave Israel are called the Jordan. Those that go up are called Aliyah. <laughs> you know, it's a play on words in Hebrew. So what's going to cause the Jewish people to come weeping back to God is not the state of Israel. It's the actual Hebrew word, the gathering. The waters were gathered together in Genesis, okay? The cord that was gathered together and hung out the window, okay? Was hope hung out Rahab's window or a cord hung out his window? A red cord was a cord. It's a gathering of twine. So we know that the context and the word usage in other places that this should probably be translated that the Lord is the gathering point of our fathers. Or the very hope of our entire existence is the nomadic desert warrior shepherd pattern and where he makes us lie down as sheep in the green pastures at the oasis in the desert. Hallelujah. And he fights off the enemies and it's in that place of sustenance, in that place of living, that place is 
the house of the Lord, is the hope of our fathers, is the place we're being gathered back to. This is the place we've got to shepherd people, Jewish people, back into. Oh, awesome. Let's go back to Revelation 9. Yeah, Revelation 7. Revelation 7. Okay, let's read back verse 3 now. Saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God in their foreheads. Hallelujah. So we know that there's the technology right now. Our, our Labrador retriever we bought in Israel and brought over. To bring her over, we had, the vet had to put a microchip in the back of her neck. Gives her a whole history, okay? So if a dog can carry a microchip, who says we can't carry one in our hand? Come on. So we know that the mark of the beast, the Antichrist system, okay, and however it plays out, the technology is here now to carry a, some type of barcode to carry your medical history, your banking information, your criminal record, whatever, okay? And we see a cashless society developing, okay? We see what's happening in Babylon, Iraq right now. We see what's happening in Israel, the land of Israel. We're at the point now, brothers and sisters, the only way you're going to make it as a Christian, okay, is to be a bondservant, either hot or cold right now. And the ultimate bungee jump is to say, Lord, I thank you for my freedom, but I'm putting my ear back on your door. I want to be a bondservant. And there's a sealing process that goes on. Hallelujah. Where God is going to seal the remnant of the Gentile church. He's going to seal people. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then your job is going to be bring back the Jewish people on your shoulders, back to the Lord their God. Isaiah 60 says. The nations are being fulfilled. The gospel is reaching the nations right now, folks. We're seeing a theme of history. Come on. If you listen, I like this story. My sister sent me a photo of Bill Gates when he just got out of college. And there's like four or five guys sitting with him, you know. And it's funny what my sister said. It says, would you invest in this corporation at this time? <laughs> you know, the idea of Microsoft and seeing these guys, a bunch of hippies, and thinking that one day these guys would be multi-billionaires. Come on. And how people, oh, but we just had, you know, $1,000 to invest at that time. How we would be worth hundreds of millions today. Come on, are you with me? Yeah. Or oh, if I just would have had a few shares of Google, you know? Come on, quit thinking like that. Start thinking of the seams of prophetic spiritual history and position yourself where the Spirit's about to move. It says the four living beings in Ezekiel's vision, chapter 1, that before the throne, it says they had four faces, you know, and the wings and all that. And it says they, they turned and moved where the Spirit was about to go. You've heard me talk about this. I was being trained to play professional soccer, go through college playing this stuff. And one thing the coach always taught us is you always run and pass to the open point, Okay? You create space. You pass through the open space. Come on, hallelujah. We've got to be the same way. We've got to pass, we've got to run to where the Spirit's about to go. Not where the Spirit's already been. We've got to rendezvous with the wind of God where he's going. And this is what he will show. Amos chapter 3, verse 7, he says, I reveal to my servants the prophets. I do nothing in the earth unless I first reveal what I'm going to do to my secret servants, you know, secret to my servants, the prophets. God is going to show us, a prophetic generation, amen, what he's about to do. 
And I'm trying to list it for you. Don't look for Elijah list. Don't look for all this other stuff. Don't look for somebody to lay hands on you right now. Get it out of the Word of God. The Word of God is revealing to us, okay? And Satan, for many centuries, has tried to keep the church in anti-Semitism, into replacement theology, and to minimize the Jewish roots, okay? The Jewish roots is the prophetic symbolism of who we are in this hour. It is the morning star prophetic light right now. So we see that the rivers are flooding in Israel. That means there's something new happening in the earth. Forget the past, okay? Let's forget everything. Come on, don't try to hang on to something. Come on, don't have a backup file. Just get rid of it all. And it's pressed into the new, and we see Babylon being shaken. We're at the point now that we have to prepare for the Jewish people to come. We have to build out the spiritual nursery. We have to prepare ourselves. And God may lead you to start learning Hebrew. God may lead you to want to go to Israel a few times a year. Come on. God may lead you to start interceding. God may be starting to lead you. Why? Because your job as a Gentile Christian is to provoke them to jealousy. Amen? Hallelujah. And they're going to come and say, they're going to go through the nation, through Aliyah, through Jerusalem, through remembering their bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah, through whatever, and they're going to start pressing into what is the reason we are persecuted so much. Why are so many nations want to kill us? Why do we have no homeland, so to speak, that is not under some type of judgment? What is happening to us as a people? Why can't we just have peace and everybody like us? And they're going to come back weeping to the Lord their God. But they're not going to come unless their shepherds are in place. Because the reason they're scattered, Jeremiah 50 says, is because the shepherds scattered them. How the shepherds scattered them? You can read Ezekiel 34. It's very simple. Ezekiel 34, you've got to read the whole thing. They dominated the sheep. They made them drink muddy water. What's Ezekiel 33? It's a, it's a trumpet blowing. God's setting a sword. I want you to warn the people. Who's the first people that's supposed to warn them? Not the lost. That's a mistranslation. That's pulling it out of its context. The first people we're supposed to warn are the shepherds of Ezekiel 34. And he says, I'm going to demand my sheep from them. I'm going to raise up a new shepherd according to David. Not David as a monarch, but David as a judge. Not David as a king, but David as a shepherd warrior. That's the model of who Jesus is. Ha! And it's in that place when we're ready... When we're at the place that we know him, not perfect, but we're mature in battle, God will start bringing people to us. Of course, non-Jews, but get ready for the Jewish people. He's saying, you know somebody that I want to know. And you'll be able to lead them, come on, into being one-on-one with the shepherd and stand guard to keep the wolves from interfering with that process. That's why, so you don't look to me. And you look to Jesus. I'm just a fellow shepherd. I'm not your covering. Jesus is your covering. Hallelujah. And the problem is, too many pastors become too much of a covering and interfere with the husband being the covering over the wife. There are only two coverings in the Bible. It's the covering of atonement, the Yom Kippur, okay? Then the husband covering. That's it. The whole idea of covering is a mechanism of the monarchy to control you. Remember Avi Melech? Go to the website and look at the Biblical Garden video that Bo just put together. You'll see an old warrior there, 80-plus-year-old warrior, (laughs) Noga, (laughs) explaining to us in broken English about Jotham, Yotam, parable, how they wanted a king. And the tree, the adopt tree said, come and I'll come under my branches. I'll take care of you. And we have to understand the adopt tree 
it produces a root system and fruit that will destroy everything else around it. Nobody plants a vineyard or a fig tree next to an adot tree, even though it's a big tree and it provides shade, it will destroy everything else around it. And what Tom is saying is, you'll never be fruitful if you want Avimelech to be your king. If you want him to be your covering, you'll never be fruitful. He'll destroy you. And if you rebel against him, fire will come out against you. And that's what happens. You get into a monarchy, strong, controlling system. They may provide some shade for you, little fruit, but you'll never become fruitful for Jesus in your life. And if you leave that system, they attack you. The charismatic witchcraft fire comes out. Well, you leave under my covering, you'll be cursed, and this and that. We're in a scene of history. Let's break out of it, okay? So the shepherd warrior pattern, hallelujah, that we're being coaxed into by God right now, is there's a lot of sheep out there. The second reason there's a lot of scattered sheep, and I don't need to go into all of it. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's very interesting that when God wanted to destroy Jezebel, he first had to take out Ahab. And 2 Kings 22 talks about how Ahab was taken out in battle. And that a prophet came and saw the host of heaven, okay? And God asked a lying spirit to be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets so Ahab could be killed. How about that for your theological (laughs) understanding? God sent a lying spirit to deceive the prophets. But before he said that, Micah said this. He said, I see all of Israel like sheep scattered on the mountains, therefore every man to his own house. What he was saying is that because Jezebel and Ahab were so entrenched in the people and brought them into Baal worship, okay, worshiping agricultural success and not the God of Israel, okay, that's where Jezebel came from, right? And actually God allowed it to happen because when Jesus stood up in his home synagogue and said, none of, there was many lepers in the time of Elijah, excuse me, there was many uh, widows in the time of Elijah the prophet, but none were, he didn't feed, he didn't take care of any, but which one? A widow woman, where? In Sidon, right. What does Sidon have to do? Sidon is the hometown of Jezebel. And they flipped out on Jesus. They wanted to kill him. But what Jesus was saying is that Elijah was sent to feed one widow, when there was a lot of widows and dying people from the famine in Israel, he did not send anybody that were sons of Israel. He was sent to bless Jezebel's hometown. God was blessing Israel's enemies to bring the apostasy to fruition, yet to have the 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee. Come on, folks. When the apostasy and all these pastors are being exposed, that's when those in the caves start to be revealed. Ha! <laughs> And then Elisha, there were many lepers in the time of Israel, in the time of Elisha. Why? Because the next generation after famine, see what happens in Ethiopia? A lot of skin problems, a lot of malnutrition, a lot of problems, okay, in your largest organ, which is your skin. And so after the famine, there's all these problems in land, a lot of lepers, okay, and none were healed except Naaman the Syrian. Who's Naaman the Syrian? He is, he is the commander-in-chief of the Assyrian army who came back later in 722 and, and holocausted the ten tribes of Israel and Samaria. God healed the leper so he can go back and be a butcher. To butcher Jewish people. And they got so mad they wanted to kill Jesus. 
God is good all the time. God is good. But when the apostasy reaches a point, God initiates the apostasy. He raises up and blesses the enemies to actually afflict, to separate. That's why I said in Jeremiah 50, we're not guilty, seeing they have sinned against the Lord. The very people terrifying the sheep and making them be scattered are doing it because they know Israel sinned. Could it, be, could it be that God's raised up a few hundred thousand insurgents in the Islamic world to paralyze America and Europe for our brazen idolatry? Come on, Bin Laden? What, this guy is so rich and so powerful and knows how to evade everybody? And all these few hundred thousand insurgents that are humbling the U.S. right now? Come on, folks. The mighty U.S. Army. One carrier task force can take out the entire nation. What's happening? I believe it's divine judgment on America. God is prospering our enemies to humble us. And that's the time of the sealing of the bondservants. That's the time when you know the 7,000 haven't bowed the knee. Come on. That's the time that you're going to be running to the desert. Make sure you're not running from Jezebel. Because when you get to the desert, saying, that's where I need to be, back at Mount Horeb. Oh, where God appeared to our fathers. Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, uh, they've all left you, and I'm the only one. I've got 7,000, haven't kissed the bail on the lips or bowed my knee. What are you doing here? Uh, uh, I'm extremely zealous. Uh, stand in front of the cave, comes out of the cave. God was not in the tornado wind, rock splitting, the flaming fire, not in the big shaking. God was in the still, small voice. That is the secret of the desert warfare, knowing the still small voice. And what do you guys say? Get up and get back into battle. Go back up there and prophesy on the border of Syria. Say, let God be God. And so it says here in verse 3 of chapter 7, do not harm the earth until we have sealed the bondservants of our God in their foreheads. And so we see bondservants of Islam sealing on their foreheads, okay? In the same way kamikaze pilots sealed on their foreheads, their mission. And at the same time, that darkness is revealing martyrs and suicide bombers like we've never seen before. So God is raising up his warriors, hallelujah, that will be marked on their forehead in the last days, hallelujah. Holiness unto the Lord. And it says in Hebrew, go through Jerusalem and mark every man who weeps for the city. And the word mark there is the letter Tav. And the ancient Tav was a cross in Hebrew, in the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> the mark to be put in Ezekiel's time on the foreheads of the bondservants, hallelujah, looks like a, a cross. Yeah! Okay, verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144. 4,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, let's just say this is literal. Of course, apocalyptic literature, it speaks in signs and symbols, so you can't say everything's literal, okay? You just read it and don't try to, you know, just flow with it. Don't try to get too into it because apocalyptic literature speaks in riddles and signs that we don't know about sometimes. Let's just say this is literal. If there's going to be 144,000 wild Jewish men, hallelujah, that are waiting for you and I to shepherd them into this, glory to God. What are we doing here? You want, to get, you want to get people born again, get a bunch of Jews born again. Hallelujah. And verse 9, and after these things I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches, were in their hands. They cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. We're not going to worship Him as a Lamb until we take care of lambs first. Come on, folks. I'm going to try to perk you up. Get your Bible study going here. Hallelujah. John chapter 20. Peter, do you love me? Then do what? Feed my sheep. Oh, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. What? Tend my sheep. He takes them three. Come on. Through the three affirmations. Why? Because Peter made three denials. I don't know the man. Starts cussing. So Jesus brings it back through with three affirmations. And the only way you're going to forget your cursings and blasphemies you've spoken against him and treacherously departed from him is by you acknowledging the shepherd role in your life to love others. Come on, folks. Shepherd my sheep. Okay, let's buy all the books we can and go to the 4-H club and go to the fair and let's learn how we can shepherd sheep. Bad. You go to Israel and study the pattern there and read the Bible in that context. Hallelujah. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen! Blessings and glory. This is for you tonight. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen! Shakabahatai. Now, Verse 13, and one of the elders answered, saying to me, these are those clothed in the white robes. Who are they? Where do they come from? And he sa- I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones. It's interesting. Have you ever noticed how angels ask somebody something? Well, Lord, Lord, you know. Maybe we should be knowing these things. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There we go. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. Could you, you know, our first washing should be, the, again, the Spirit speaking to me. Our first washing should be cleansing of our mind from sin. Oh, God, I love you, but I'm just a wretched worm. God says, shut up. My blood has made you righteous. Stand before me. For this reason, they're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. So those who become bondservants here will automatically become bondservants before him day and night. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his what? Temple or tabernacle? Tabernacle. It's this imagery of a Bedouin tent, folks. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their what? And shall guide them to the springs of the waters of life. And God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. And then the seventh seal breaks open, the trumpets, and Armageddon begins. Let's recap, okay? If you have some, I encourage you, 
just don't feed on a couple times a week. Go home, open up your Bibles, start looking at the scriptures on shepherds, okay? Read John chapter 10, Jesus being the good shepherd. I haven't even got to the New Testament yet. <laughs> He's a pattern of David, okay, the warrior. Remember that the word king is only used of Jesus. We are not a kingdom of kings and priests. We are a kingdom of priests only. Mistranslation in King James. We're priesthoods, okay? We are at the pattern of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. Now in this process, a lot of good people are getting tired of the Sunday churchianity scene, but they still love Jesus. And they're not sure what to do. And normally what they're doing is they're leaving and starting to dry up. They're starting to become scattered sheep. They don't want to come back to a church system. They want to meet him. Are we presenting him? Are we presenting a system that we think is blessed by him? These are some heavy questions, folks. Amen? And people in our culture have asked, leaders, Christian leaders have asked these questions and have implemented what is called seeker-sensitive, mamby-pamby, different types of Sunday churches, okay, make you feel good, thinking that's the answer to the problem that we have today. Today in Europe, 65% of the people believe in God, but less than 10% even go to church. Why? Because the Europeans have been plagued with institutional Christianity for centuries, have learned something. Many people in Europe believe in God, but they don't believe in the system. And so Americans are very entrepreneurial. We have a lot of money, a lot of freedom to do things, and so we try to help God along. And unfortunately, we have a lot of sheep that are crying out. Our website is a drinking hole for a lot of people. Okay, so let's help them out. And we're first going to help them by getting ourselves to this point. Every person here is called to ministry. Okay? I don't know what type of capacity you're called to, but you're going to have to reach out and bless others. Amen? Amen. And every one of us, have the, all ministry has an element of shepherding to it. Okay? Whether you shepherd your family, you shepherd friends, we're all called to disciple people. Amen? And I want you to, you know, read on this pattern, read the emails, go back and read some of the videos, look at the videos, looking at these scriptures, get the Desert Shepherd book that we're offering on our website, read it over, it's pretty deep, you know, it's complicated at some points, but just stay in it, let it become part of you, amen? Let Psalms 23 become the foundation for who Jesus is, and let's reach these people, okay? When you touch this place... There's nothing like it, folks. Hallelujah.
want to thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says if anybody would call upon your name, they'd be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.